Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you this morning, and I'm glad that Alan was able to preach last week. I've heard great, um, great comments about his preaching. I'm glad y'all are so nice to him. I hope you say the same thing about me, right? I mean, I hear so much about how he does a great job covering, and I appreciate it so much. But I was able to do that. He covered me so I could go be with the elementary students and do children's church. Um, it's just great to go up there. I try to do that at least twice a year. Go be with the elementary kids because, well, I'm their pastor too, aren't I, right? That gets a chance for me to get to know them, spend time with them, and develop them. And it's just great to be a part of a church who knows how important it is to invest in the next generation. So this morning, we're going to continue our series on the Psalms, right? We're doing the Summer Psalms, where we're looking through the different types of Psalms there are. Remember, the Psalms aren't just informational. It just doesn't tell us a bunch of things. It's not stories. It's something very different. It's poetry and it's wisdom and it's just people crying out to the Lord. And remember, the purpose of the Psalms is to really help shape our worldview. It teaches us how to pray. It teaches us how to think. It teaches us how to sing. It teaches us how to do all sorts of different things. And those of you who've been going on the journey with us, following us in the reading plan, you've seen how there are so many different types of psalms, aren't there? I mean, so many different types. You're like, well, this one doesn't have anything to do with this one, and they don't. They're just very different. And so that's what we're doing. Over the summer, we're looking at the different types of psalms there are, and actually how we can then use them for our daily Christian life. And so the first week we looked at a psalm of wisdom, which is like uh, um, all other wisdom literature just gives us information about right living versus wrong living. And and a lot of the times wisdom has to do with, with following God's word. We saw that in Psalms 1. The second week we looked at a psalm of worship, which really helps reorient our lives around God and remind us that he is our priority. We need to focus on him and not these other things that want to take over and consume our life. Last week, Alan gave, of course, a great sermon on the psalm of thanksgiving and trust, that even when it doesn't feel like it, even when God doesn't answer the way we want him to answer in in our prayers, we still trust him. We still have this thankful heart and want to see him working and moving in our lives. Today is a different type of psalm. Today, we're looking at a psalm of lament, specifically a psalm of repentance, David is crying out to God, dealing with his sin in light of a holy, just, but also merciful, good God. And so just a warning, this sermon is is only for people who've sinned. If you haven't sinned, this has nothing to do with you. You're off the hook. You got to pass. You're good to go. But if you have sinned, this psalm walks us through what it looks like to actually repent. Now, growing up, I heard all about repentance for my sins, but it was usually connected with repent from your sins and then give your life to Jesus Christ. And while that's an accurate thing to do, I thought 
repentance was just a one-time thing Christians were supposed to do. You repented once, and once you repented, now you're a Christian and you're good to go. Now, don't get me wrong. I would ask for forgiveness for my sins. I would say, God, hey, I know I did this wrong. I know I messed up. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Thank you. And then I would move on. But the truth is, I didn't really move on. I didn't move on from that sin. I just didn't want God, I didn't want to feel like God was angry at me anymore. So I kept in sin, and it was almost like forgiveness was a way to just do whatever I wanted, knowing that all I had to do was throw up a prayer, and I'm good to go. I wanted forgiveness, but I didn't want to repent because I did that once before, and now I must be good. And see, in my mind, I just thought, again, repentance was this one-time thing. But what I've learned and continuing to learn is that repentance is an ongoing thing. It's not a thing you do just at the beginning. Repentance is what the Christian life is all about. Because if you, if you have this idea that all we do now, so you ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins, you repent, you come to him, now you're a Christian, right? That happens. If all you do is ask for forgiveness, if you mix that in with, well, once saved, always saved, do you know what that does to a teenager? I do. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and God's okay with it. I just pray, and guess what? I'm still going to heaven. Y'all ever live like that? I Man, I got the most yeses I've ever gotten in church. Okay, you, you, oh, y'all grew up in a Baptist church too. Okay, yeah, that's what we heard. You see, repentance is more than just asking for forgiveness. Repentance is a change. Here's the definition up here. Repentance is a change of attitude and what? That's the thing I never wanted to do. I didn't want to feel shame. I didn't want to feel guilt, but I wanted to keep doing it. You ever done that? Of course you have. Yeah, repentance is a change of attitude and action from sin towards obedience to God. So forgiveness is this thing we do. Excuse me, repentance is this thing we do. It's a change of action and attitude. But check this out. Forgiveness is where we ask God to pardon us from our sin. So that's something that he does, right? He does the, he does the forgiving. We can't do that. We can ask for it. We're just saying, hey, God, we know we're guilty, and I want you to release me from that debt. I want you to just pardon me, look over that, forgive me. But what God desires from us is not just asking him to pardon us. He wants us to repent. He wants us to change the direction, this way of life. You see, growing up, I had the wrong idea of faith. I didn't realize that repentance was an ongoing, almost every day, if not every day, process for the Christian. But Jesus preached this. Look at what he said, Mark 1, 14 through 15. It says, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. What's he tell us to do? Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Let me ask you a question. Do you only need to believe once? Like I believed this one time, I'm good. Doesn't matter if I believe anymore. Doesn't matter if I trust anymore. I believed this once, so I must just be a-okay. 
No, believe is a constant thing, isn't it? You ever find yourself not believing or not trusting or, or forgetting that you once did believe this one thing? Yeah, believing is this ongoing thing, and so is repenting. Unless you don't sin, again, remember, if you don't sin, sermon isn't for you. But those of you who do or have, this is what we're called to do. You see, Jesus doesn't just ask, doesn't say, hey, just ask for forgiveness and believe in me. He says, repent, change your attitude, change your actions from trusting in you or trusting in sin towards obedience to God. And we do that, right? The reason why we do this is because we believe that Jesus is the son of God. We believe he's the Messiah, the anointed one who has come to rescue and deliver us from our sin. Because we all got to deal with that guilt, shame, all that stuff that's going on in us. And we believe Jesus is the one who's done that for us. You see, here's why this is so important as we keep thinking about repentance. Repentance includes asking for forgiveness. Repentance includes asking for forgiveness. But asking for forgiveness does not always include repentance. And the truth is, many times... We don't really want to change, do we? The truth is we want to keep going in it, keep doing our thing our way, and just hoping that somehow God's okay with that. It's like we use the cross of Christ, the death of Christ, the bloody, torturous death of Christ as a license to sin and do whatever we want. It's not that big of a deal. But see, that's where repentance comes in. That's what he calls us to Because we are broken people in a broken world, this is a process all of us are going to have to work through. And now for those of you who are like, well, Brian, listen, I'm not that bad. I know you are. You tell us all the time, but I'm really okay. Like I grew up in church. I've had a great family. Like I'm good to go. This really isn't for me. I mean, I sense sometimes like I mess up a little bit. Well, Jesus gives this warning. It's one of the most powerful warnings in scripture. If you grew up in a good home, especially if you grew up in a good Christian home, pay attention to this. You see, Jesus tells the story of two men who went to the temple and pray. One man, a Pharisee. Who was the Pharisee, folks? Someone tell me. That wasn't rhetorical. Well, I'll tell you. All right, he was like the Sunday school teacher. He was the religious leader. He was the guy who had it together. He was the one who would teach. He's the one who read his Bible, memorized the Bible. He's the guy who would tithe. Yeah, he was one of those Christians. He would give money. It was a big deal. He would go to church all the time, Wednesday night service. He had it all together. When he went to the temple, look at what he said. Look at his prayer. He said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Before you laugh, don't tell me you've never looked down on someone. You've never looked down and said, glad I'm not like them. I got my stuff together. They don't. He says, God, I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. He was pointing to the other guy in the temple. That's pretty messed up, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. He says, I fast twice a week. 
Baptists are like, uh-oh, yeah, I don't even do that, do we? Whoo, fasting? I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of all my income. His prayer is, God, I am so thankful I have it all together. You've given me a great life. I've had a great home. I go to church. I fast. I tithe. God, I am so thankful that I'm awesome and I got it together. Now, sometimes we may feel that way if we're honest, right? It's called pride. We need to deal with that. But when we aren't doing an internal audit of our lives, when we're not looking at us, we end up looking at others. But here's what I want to tell you. If you're focused on you, you won't have time to look at everybody else. If you deal with your sin, if you do a real audit of the things you struggle with, the hardships in your life, the sin you keep running back to that nobody knows about but God knows about, so you need to deal with that. If you take an internal audit, you'll realize, like, man, I'm not okay. This guy said, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like him. But, Jesus says, this is a story Jesus made up, so he gets to tell you how it ends. It says, but, next slide. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in what? Sorrow. Saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. You see, the tax collector is a despised person in their culture, a traitor, they thought, one that nobody liked, one who was intentionally betraying the nation of God. And he went before the Lord, wouldn't even look up, said, I'm not even worthy to look in your direction, threw himself at God's mercy, said, I'm just a sinner. I'm broken. I need help. Here's how Jesus ends this story. Verse 14, he says, I tell you, this sinner not the Pharisee, returned home what? Oh, and that is a big theological problem, a big theological idea. That's something we all need to be justified before God. That means made right before God. The one who was made right before God was who? You're like, what? Yeah, the sinner. The one who knew everybody messed up, the one, excuse me, the one that everybody else knew messed up, he knew who messed up, him going before God, throwing himself at God's mercy, he was justified, he was declared holy, he was made right with God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The only people who can be made right with God are those who throw themselves on the mercy of God. There is nobody, the Bible tells us, there is nobody who's righteous. There is nobody who has it all together. All of us, every single one of us are in desperate need of the goodness and the grace of God. Being a sinner is a prerequisite to being a Christian. Did you know that? Like we all start in the same place. We all need his grace, which means we all need to repent. So how do we do it? How do we repent versus just ask for, for forgiveness? What are the steps? What does that look like? Thankfully, David's plea to God in Psalm 51. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up there. If not, it'll be on the screen. Psalms 51, we're going to walk through David's cry for repentance, a cry for help. David had done some horrific things, and he knew the only place to turn was God. 
And so we're going to look at it, break it down into six parts. These six parts you can use on your own. You can write them down, take notes, or follow along however you want to do. First up, look at what we see David do. First, we see um, David. He's a cry for God's mercy, folks. Remember, he's not like that Pharisee looking down on everyone else. He's beating his chest in sorrow. And he says, have mercy on me, on God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sins. First, I want you to see when he goes before God, he appeals to God's compassion and mercy. Folks, we probably take this for granted, but we need to just step back and think this through. We have a God who is for us, We have a God who loves us. We have a God who wants a relationship with us, who has revealed himself to us. We have a God who came to die for us, to be with us. This isn't a God you need to run from. This isn't a God you need to like go do your own thing because I'm not too sure if he has my best interest at heart. Like I kind of want to do what I want. Like I don't know about this God. Listen, this is a God who loves you, who is for you, who cares about you. And because of his great mercy, David throws himself upon God. Say, God, I need your help. You see, folks, the only reason we can go to God is because of his mercy and his grace. Like, we can't appeal to his justice. We can't go to God and be like, God, you know, I got it all together. I need you to help me out with this messed up person over here. Like, like we can't appeal to his justice. His justice would scare us. He's holy. The only thing we have, the only thing we can do is appeal to his mercy and to his grace. And notice he doesn't say, Lord, just forgive me. Listen to his heart. He uses three cleansing verbs and he used three different words for sin. This translation doesn't translate it uh, the way it should be, but we're going to roll with it anyways. He asked God to blot out. He says, God, blot out, wash away, purify me. Folks, that's not just a passive, ah, forgive me, right? Hey, God, forgive me for my sins. This is a desperate cry and plea like, God, cleanse me, blot it out, get rid of it. And he says, for my transgressions. And transgression is a crossing a forbidden boundary. That's considered rebellion. Like there's a line you're not supposed to cross and you cross it. That's a transgression, completely rebelling. He said, God, forgive me for my rebellion. Forgive me for my iniquity, which is perversion. He says, forgive me for my sin, which is that idea of missing the mark. He uses all three ideas in a one. He's like, God, cleanse me, get rid of this stuff. So he pleads and cries out to God's mercy. Next, he confesses his sin. Here he goes. He says, I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment of my mother conceiving me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. So in his confession, look at what David does. Number one, he recognizes his rebellion. He takes full responsibility for it. He says, I rebelled, I own it, I did it. It's not like, well, I was justified, it really wasn't that big of a deal. He says, God, I've just flat out rebelled. I did my own thing, my own way. 
I know I wasn't supposed to cross this line. I did it anyways. So he recognizes rebellion and then he confesses his sin. He says, I have sinned against you and you alone. Now that throws commentators for a loop. It messes a lot of people up. They're like, well, what about the other people involved? Because David did some pretty messed up stuff. He killed, you remember that story? This is after he used his influence to have a woman commit adultery with him, got her pregnant, then killed her husband. Y'all never done anything like that, have you? Yeah, I know. Like this, but it's like, well, hold on. What do, what do you mean he just sinned against God? Number one, when we read Psalms, we can't take them so literal. Just like any poetry, any songs, David is crying out. He's confessing. He's just laying it bare. But then secondly, folks, sin is against God. At the end of the day, when we harm other people, like, yeah, we hurt them, but ultimately we sin against whom? God, right. I mean, like he is the lawgiver. He's the one who says, here's what you can and can't do. So he confesses. He said, God, your judgment about me is correct. Your verdict about me is correct. Now, folks, how often we do to go to God and be like, I know we sinned, but like, I, I'm really pretty good, though. Like, I know I shouldn't have done that, but like David's not, he, he's not making excuses. He's just laying bare. He's like, against you, I've done it. I've rebelled against you. And then he uses this hyperbolic language. He's exaggerating. He's overstating. He says, I've been a sinner since the womb. Like this whole time, I've just been messed up. Now, if you were David, how would you handle this? I'm afraid I might go to God. Look, Lord, I messed up. You remember that one time I killed Goliath? You remember everybody else was scared? I did that. I'm pretty great. Remember, Lord? Remember that one time I did that good thing? Right. But see, David doesn't throw all the good things back in his face because David knows and God knows the only reason why David did any of that good stuff was because of whom? That's right, God. It wasn't about him. And so David just owns it. Our standard for holiness is God. And the truth is we all fall short. Because we are born into a sinful world with sinful parents, with sinful friends. And it just, we, all of us are enticed and drawn to it. We don't want to admit it, but it's true. And so David just lays bare before the Lord. Like, I understand I'm a mess. I understand my heart's not good. I understand I've messed up. And so if nothing else, we have to understand part of repentance is taking responsibility for what you've done. Owning it, declaring it, not making excuses, not washing it away, not pretending it wasn't a big deal. It's like, God, I own this. I messed up bad. But you throw yourself at his mercy. Number two, so first he pleads for God. He, he appeals to God's mercy and grace. He confesses his sin because at the end of the day, all sin is rebellion. That's the big thing we need to understand. And then he appeals to God's cleansing and forgiveness. He says, purify me for my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh God, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. He knows that God is the only one who can cleanse him from what he's done. 
He knows it's only through forgiveness that he can be made whiter than snow. And it's only because of Jesus that we can be made clean through the shedding of his blood and the forgiveness he offers for us. It's through Jesus, it's through God, the only person, the only thing, the only way you're gonna deal with all that junk in here is by appealing to God and asking him to cleanse you. That's the only way. And notice he says, Where's it at? Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Have you ever been there? You ever been broken because of the stuff you've done and the effects of sin? Yeah, I'm sure we all have. David is feeling broken. He's feeling the shame, the crushing, the crushing weight of it all and knows that only God can restore his joy. And folks, many of you are running around living in sin. And the reason why I know, because I've been there. So let's start with that. I've been there. We're running around in sin. We're doing our own thing. We have this shame, this feeling, and we want out. And so we look for all these other ways to get rid of it. But we can't. It won't go away. The only person who can forgive us, who can pardon us, who can wipe that clean is Jesus Christ. And he wants to do that for us. But biblically, you see, biblically, guilt isn't a feeling. Biblically, guilt is either you're guilty or you're not not guilty. Either you've done something or you haven't done it. David was clearly guilty. What he's experiencing, what he's dealing with is the shame. That crushing weight of shame. And he appeals to God like you and I can appeal to God and say, God, you have crushed me. Don't look at it any longer. Cleanse me from my sin. Now let's be honest. Does that mean it's going to go away instantly and we're going to be good to go? No. The consequences for our sin are real. And we got to deal with that. But we can be know, we can know that our relationship is restored with our Heavenly Father, which is the most important thing. We can know that God is with us. We can know that God is cleansing us. He is using us and can continue to do that. But listen, David just doesn't want the stuff to be removed. He desires an inward transformation. Look at what he says next. He says, create in me a clean heart. He's like, my heart's messed up. It's broken. It's sinful. You got to go to work, God. You got to go to work in me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. He's like, God, I'm not very loyal. I stab you in the back all the time. I need you to do a work in my life. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Have you ever felt like God wasn't with you anymore? Have you ever felt like God wasn't close? Have you ever felt that feeling? You're like, man, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where he's at. Like, do I need to pray more? You may put on some like worship tracks, even try some hymns. You're like, I don't know, God, where are you? That's what David's feeling. He's expressing, he's like, God, don't, don't leave me. God, I need you. Like he's crying out. This is very human language. Like not worrying about theologically correct. Like can God leave us? What does that look like? He's just pouring his heart out to God saying, God, I need you. Don't leave me. Don't run from me. God, I need you. And he asked God to do this inward transformation in order to be obedient. 
Because here's the thing about our faith. He knows and we should know that we need divine help. Like Christianity isn't a self-help faith. We have some practices and some things we want to do, but it's not like about you doing these steps and everything's going to get better and everything's going to go away. We talked about this when we did the spiritual discipline study. Remember, we do the spiritual disciplines to draw closer to God so then God can do a work in us. Like God's the one who does the work. God's the one who does the cleansing. God's the one who creates this new heart and this new desire. God's the one who does the inner work in our lives. And the struggle is, you and me know, is we are called to live a holy, perfect life. How many of you have done that? I'm not raising my hand, by the way. Not just me. Yeah. Yeah, like none of us have got that right. And so we're called to live this life. And the longer you strive to live a holy, perfect life, the more you realize you can't do it. And the more you realize you can't do it, that leads you to go to Christ and say, I can't do this, but you can It causes you and me to have a dependence upon God, not independence, right? That's what we want. We want to do it our way, how we want, and just think everything's going to turn out good. It doesn't. We we should learn by now, right? So God draws us closer to him. In our independence, we find out we can't do it alone. We go to God, and he starts doing this work and transforming inside our lives. He is after life transformation and life change. And I hope you or after life transformation and life change. Because folks, that's what repentance is about. Life change. Not just forgiveness for sin, not a license to sin and just saying, all right, maybe I can go to heaven. What God wants to do in you and what God wants to do in me, he wants to create life change. He wants to change us into the image of his son. He wants us to become like Jesus Christ and get on board with what he's doing in this world. He doesn't want us to just sit in sin all the time. He wants to use us. And so now he commits himself to the mission of God. Listen to what he says next, verse 13 through 17. He says, then, like after this happened, he's ready for God to do a work in his life. He said, then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is what? Say it with me. Broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. It is anticipation of deliverance. He vows to to reorient his life around the mission of God. He said, I will teach others and I will worship you. For worship, he says, I will sing of your forgiveness. I will sing, excuse me, I will praise you. You see, he knows because of his sin, because of that filth, that stuff he's stuck in, he knows that his relationship with God has been severed. It's messed up. It's not right. You see, here's the thing we have to understand. It's one thing to sin, you deal with it and you move on. But when you're in a constant state of sin, when you're in an unrepentant place, your relationship with God is not okay. God doesn't want to bless our sin. That relationship that you're in that's sinful, God's not going to bless that. You're like, yeah, but, but he's not. Like God's not in the business of blessing our sin. He doesn't want to see your, your sin prosper. Like, so if we're in that, if we're in this 
you guys understand this, the flanks and these things we know we're not supposed to be doing, whatever that may be for you. God doesn't want us in that. He's not going to bless us in that. And so he understands his relationships messed up. He's saying, so God, through your forgiveness, I will now sing praises. I will come worship you. He's saying, my life's going to be reoriented around what you're doing in this world. And now my relationship with you, and I want to sing, and I want to worship, and I want that kind of relationship back. I've severed it. I've messed it up, but I need that back. And then he says he will teach others his way. He says, I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. One of the hardest things to do as a Christian is use your testimony for God's glory. Say, hey, man, here's how I messed up. Here's what I did. Now, some things we're just not going to share, and I get that. Some things you probably don't need to share, but other things you can share. But the point is, are you teaching other people about what God's doing in your life? As we learned last week, are you sharing with others about what God's doing in your life, about how he's doing a work? Are you willing to step up to the plate, be on board with the mission of God and teach others? Because at the end of the day, Jesus Christ has called all of his followers to make and mature disciples. That means it's our job to teach others what we've learned about God from him. And lastly, I love it. He says, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. But he will reject a prideful, unrepentant heart. You see, this tells us and shows us and reminds us of how good God's grace and mercy really is. God will forgive you and restore you. As Christians, we know that's all because of Jesus Christ. And then he ends with this final one, a prayer. I'm going to say a prayer for others who are affected. I'll explain why. He says, Psalms 51, 18 through 19, he says, Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifice offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings. And whose burnt offerings? And whole burnt offerings, excuse me. And then bulls again will be sacrificed at your altar. Now, this section confuses scholars because they don't know of any walls being broken and David reigned. They're not too sure something that something this was added later. Either way, what I believe is going on, I think this is David's way of asking God to protect the city from his atrocity, his horrible sin. Have you ever thought about how much your sin has affected other people? Some of you are living with that. And I think what David's doing as the king, as the leader, I think he's like, Lord, protect us. Like, don't let the city fail because of me. I know this, is, this could just get out and this could just mess up everything. Like, Lord, don't take us down. Let us come to you. So I think he's committing himself to the mission of God and he's praying for those who've been affected by sin. Saying, God, we need you to restore. So the process of repentance is this. A process, I should say. A cry for God's mercy and grace. Confession of sin. Appeal for cleansing and forgiveness, a desire for an inward transformation, a commitment to the mission of God, and a prayer for those who are or have been affected. See, the beauty of the Psalms is they can transform your walk and help you and me how to cry out to God. How our heart should break because of sin. And sin isn't just this little, no big deal, God, please forgive me for sin. You know, I'm just going to keep on doing it. It's something different. And what God desires from you, what God desires from me, is he desires a repentive heart. Like, I don't even want to be about that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. Like, that's, that's not me. I've moved 
on. So my question is, when was the last time you repented? When was the last time you truly cried out to God and threw yourself at his mercy and grace? When was the last time you asked Jesus to purge that sin from your life? When was the last time you confessed and appealed to Jesus to cleanse you through his blood? When was the last time you asked for real life change? Not just blessing, not more money, not for your kids to get in the good school. But when was the last time you asked God to do a good work in your heart and committed yourself to his mission? When was the last time you've repented? See, it's easy to focus on other people's sin, isn't it? Isn't it easy to focus on TV or on Facebook and just be the atrocity of all those others? But when was the last time you dealt with you and truly went to God and threw yourself at his mercy and grace? Do you need to repent? Do you need to deal with that thing that's going on that you keep holding on to? Do you need to give it to God this morning and ask him to cleanse you? I believe that God is calling you and me and all of us to life change. I believe he wants to use you in an amazing way for his glory. But it starts with that repentant, broken heart. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to do business with God. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs. Uh, Scott's going to come up here and lead us called Come to the Altar. And I, wanna, I want us to think about this a little bit differently. You see, the altar was the place that they used to make sacrifices on. But because of Jesus Christ, there is no altar any longer. We don't make sacrifices on an altar. That's been done by Jesus Christ. There is no physical one. So when we sing, come to the altar, what we're singing is come to the cross. We're reminded about the blood and the sacrifice that Jesus has done. We're reminded that God's arms are open wide, inviting us into his presence anywhere. You see, before, the only people who could go to the altar were the priest. But Jesus is our great high priest. And because of Jesus, you and me, we can go to God and confess and repent. We don't need anybody to intercede for us. We can do that today. And so as Scott sings this, as he leads us, I encourage you to do business here before you leave. Let go of those things you need to let go of. Repent and turn to him today. Will you pray with me?